My name is Grant. I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I want to welcome everybody here at the Bellingham campus. I want to welcome Ferndale in Sudden Valley. I'm glad that you're here. So, uh, hi everybody. There we go. That's a little better. I tell you, glad to have you guys with us here this weekend. Okay, no cute introduction. We're just going to dive straight in as we continue final week of our series, Arguing with God. In 13 years, I have learned a lot about talking about this particular topic. I have learned that the only people who are offended by what I'm going to talk about tonight are disobedient Christians. I have found that people who don't know Jesus yet actually enjoy talking about this topic because they just want to know what God has to say and they also love having a front row seat when Christians squirm. I've also found that Christians who are being obedient and following what God has asked them to do, they're the ones who cheer and smile and like, yeah, go get them, pastor, all right? So I am actually excited this weekend to walk through God's plan for money. I just love the reactions. It's so funny. I remember the first time I heard a pastor lay out very simply, God's plan for my money. And I remember what happened in my brain when he was finished. This is what I thought. That's crazy. That's crazy. That's self-serving. He has got to be making this stuff up. Because basically it was just a plea, right? It was an appeal and there was a lot of guilt wrapped into it. And, and I just kind of got wrapped into it. And I just became cynical because I'm fairly cynical as it is. And I'm just like, there's just no way that makes sense. So I'd like to start with a question. Do you really know what God says about money? Okay, I'm not asking you, do you know what the guy on television in the really nice Armani suit with the big gold rings and the sweat pouring down his face, I'm not asking if you know what he says about God's money. I'm not asking you about what the media says or what your brain thinks or what your presuppositions are or uh, about the idea that you think that this is all the churches ever, ever talk about. No, I'm asking you the question, do you really know what God says about money? I think the best way to talk about this is to let God speak for himself. So that's what I'm going to try and do this weekend as much as I can. So I'm going to lay out for you God's plan for his provision. Because here's what God says. Stewardship is not a matter of income, it's a matter of trust. Okay, it's a matter of trust. And I'm going to get to the arguments in, in just a little bit, but stick with me. Because we need to know what we're arguing against before we start arguing, right? So I break it out this way. If you've been to Christ the King, you've heard this little acrostic before. I'm not big on three points in a poem or cute little catchphrases with acrostics where all the letters start with different things, but that's what I came up with, so that's what I'm doing this week, all right? So the T in trust, because I said stewardship is a matter of trust, means track your finances, okay? Proverbs 27 says this, Be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. So the Bible says it really clearly, and that's God speaking. Know the condition of your finances. Now, unless you're a goat farmer, this particular proverb actually needs a little interpretation, okay? But it's saying a timeless principle here. You need to know where you're at financially. And if you don't, there's something wrong with that. The Bible says we're supposed to track it every single penny. Okay? Laurel does the finances in our family. She's got an accounting background. It just makes sense. And every Saturday, she sits down at the computer, opens up Quicken, and she does the books. And I can always tell when she's done because I hear this little woohoo upstairs because she likes balancing to the penny. 
She loves that, okay? Laurel didn't always do the finances in our family. I did for about the first 10 years of our marriage. I had a system. It was called the Fishbook Method of if we're within 400 bucks, call it good, okay? That was my system. It was patented, and it was awesome, okay? And it was awful. I thought I was just being undisciplined until I actually started reading Scripture, and I found out I was not being undisciplined. I was being ungodly. I think it just makes good sense. And the Bible teaches us that we're supposed to know what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it all goes. Okay? If you're married, both of you should know exactly where you're at financially. Don't ever keep secrets in this area. It'll kill your relationship. If you're single, it's even more important for you to know where you're at financially. And here's the bottom line truth. This is boring, mundane work, but it's God's wisdom. Track your finances. Here's the R. Return 10% to its rightful owner, okay? This is where it gets a little sketchy for people, but stick with me, okay? Not for the faint of heart, but I want you to remember, these are God's words, not mine. The Bible says, and I quote, God, okay? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. You will not have room enough for it. So there's God's principle of tithing, all right? God wants 10% of what you earn. If you make 100 bucks, 10 of it's supposed to go to God. You make 10, one of it is supposed to go to God. Some people make this into this complex system. It's simple. For every 10 that God gives you the strength to earn, one of them is supposed to go back to God, okay? Why 10%? I have no idea. I have no clue. Maybe God loves the number 10. I don't know, but that's what he said. And because it all belongs to him, he can set the number wherever he wants to. He has it all. It all belongs to him. He loans it to you for 80 to 90 years. And after you're gone, he's going to get it back after your relatives are done fighting over it. And the loan stipulation that he gives you is that he wants the first 10 in an act of trust. Now, if you're like me, you start asking questions. Why does God need that? Does God need the interest? No. Is God struggling financially? No. Is God just trying to play with us? No. Then why? Because tithing is an act of worship. It's an act of gratitude. It's an act of priorities, and more than anything, tithing is an act of trust. God wants every one of us to trust him. That's why this is the only place in all of Scripture where God invites us to test him. God basically says, you give it your best shot and see whether or not I don't pour out blessing. Not always in the same medium or mode that you gave it in, but you just watch and see whether or not I bless you in ways that you never, ever expected. I've got a buddy. He will be here tomorrow, 10 o'clock service. Every year, I call him, and he's just like, when are you going to do that tithing thing again? That's what he calls it, tithing, right? Because every year, he wants to ask the same question. So what you're telling me is this. The church pays your salary. You take 10% right off the top and give it right back to your employer. Really? And the answer is yes. Because that's what God asks us to do. Okay? So Malachi gives us the what, 1 Corinthians 16 gives us the when. On the first day of the week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. If you know 
or experienced Christ the King, you understand we do not talk about this very much. In fact, if there's a knock on me, it's probably that I don't talk about it enough. In fact, I've been getting some letters lately from some folks going, Grant, maybe we should talk about this more because it's affecting so many people. The reason that I don't like talking about it has nothing to do with being uncomfortable up front. I mean, good grief. Two weeks ago, we talked about sex for the whole thing, right? That's uncomfortable, all right? It doesn't have anything to do with not saying the hard things. It has to do with some personal shame because for the first nine years of my pastoral ministry, I simply was disobedient and didn't do this. Created my own exception. I justified not honoring God and doing this because I was spending so much time with people and I was giving my heart and after all, I was a pastor and I thought that should be enough. I wanted God to bless my family and I, but I was unwilling to put him first in this crucial area. And I learned a really tough lesson. If you want God to bless a certain part of your life, you've got to put him first in that part. If you want God to bless your relationship, you've got to put Jesus first in your relationship. If you want him to bless your business, you've got to put him first in your business. If you want to put him first, if you want him to bless your finances, you've got to put him first in your finances. Now, we don't give to get, we give to give. We also understand this. God doesn't want our leftovers. He wants first place. For those of you who are here that are biblical, theological, neatniks, and are already rising up saying, but Grant, come on, pastor, stop. Tithing's an Old Testament principle, and I'm under grace. I would love to talk to you for a second, because yes, you are. You are a New Testament believer under grace, and that grace costs Jesus everything. So if you want to start living with that example, you better be prepared to give it all away, because the giving style of Jesus was the giving style of a man who was living like he was dying, and nothing in this earth had any attraction to him anyway. So if you want to go New Testament on me, be my guest. All right? Proverbs chapter 3. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops. And then your barns will be filled to overflowing, and your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's the you in trust. It's use good planning to gain victory. All right? Financial planning starts with having a good budget. Okay? It's a B word for some people. And it's like, whoa, what's up with that? All right? If you don't have a plan for spending, I think you're heading for financial disaster. I mean, just think about it, right? In my house, somebody showed up, a plumber showed up, and actually did a plumbing design inside of our house. It's the coolest thing, because when I turn on a tap, there's water there. There's a drain underneath of it to carry the wastewater away. They literally put it in the walls of my house. It's absolutely perfect, because the water needs to come from the street and then be distributed throughout the house, okay? What would you think of a person who just took the water main pipe, stuck it in a basement window, and said, Turn it on! And just let it fill up and roll all over the place. I mean, you'd think somebody like that was absolutely insane, but that's what people do with their finances all the time. They take their wish list, they plug it into their paycheck, and then they wonder why they end up drowning. They wonder why they end up drowning in the basement of a financial nightmare because they take everything they want and then what they earn and they scream at the top of their lungs, let her rip. Proverbs 21.5, the plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You know, that verse, Proverbs chapter 21, is taking on one of the greatest myths in our modern society. The myth says this, if I just make a little more, I'll be happy. If I just get a raise, then I'll be financially free. And actually, 
The reality is this. If you make more without planning what you're going to do with it, you're just going to have a bigger crawl or hole to crawl out of. And you know why? It's because of this truth. I've learned this myself. Yearnings always exceed earnings. Yearnings always exceed earnings. And we need to realize this. Our whole culture is geared to make you spend more than what you plan. I mean, if you don't believe me, just think about it. When was the last time you turned on late night TV and they came up with one of those great products? You know, it slices, it dices, it does this, it'll drive your car for you and make french fries. I mean, all the other kind of stuff like that. And, and when was the last time they got to the part where they actually wanted you to buy it and they said this? This is a great product. So why don't you go home and think about it? Why don't you get together with your spouse and discuss where you're actually at financially See what's in your budget for this particular item. Make sure that the allotments are all in exactly the right place. And don't bother coming back until you actually have cash in your hand. And when you're ready for it, we'd be more than happy to send you the Dysomatic 6000. That's not the way it works, is it? It's like, no, 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 no. Buy it now. You've got to have it right this second. You need it. It's hot. These things are flying off the shelf. That's why they put the little countdown clock in the corner, right? It's just like, I've only got two minutes to buy this thing. I mean, I didn't even know it existed three minutes ago, but I've got to have it now because my life is just not complete without it, right? Proverbs 21.20. This is a verse that should be tattooed on the credit card hand of everyone that's going to Black Friday. Proverbs 21.20 Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Thus saith the Lord. Ah. Right? You know what's interesting to me about that? You know who actually wrote that proverb? The richest man in human history. Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. If you don't know how to budget, and the reality is most of us don't, we offer a class here at Christ the King called Financial Peace University. I love hearing the stories of how when people do finances God's way, how God blesses and removes the burden from their shoulders. It starts with a budget. Here's the S. Save for the future. We may not know this, but saving is actually biblical. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Every year when I talk about stewardship, I go and do, I've got this little website that I go to, and once again, we are 10 years in a row. Some of you will know the answer to this question, okay? What is the number one fastest growing and most lucrative cottage industry in the United States of America for the 10th year in a row? Anybody? Storage units. Storage units. Now, I'm not coming down on storage units. In fact, if you own some, good for you, all right? You're smarter than I was, all right? Isn't it interesting that we can't fit what we already have in the places we have already have, so we actually need overflow to contain all the stuff that we have? I mean, is there something in that that doesn't really seem to line up? I mean, the Bible says we're supposed to save, not stockpile, Okay? It's biblical. A recent article, American Demographic Magazine, said most Americans will go into retirement dead broke because they never bothered to save a dime before they turn 65. Proverbs 21.20, The wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. And here's the last one. Taste and savor contentment. 
And I don't know if you know this, but the stuff that you actually have, you're supposed to enjoy. Okay, that's part of God's plan too. Enjoy what you have. It's a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with his enjoying his blessing. Hebrews 13, verse 5. Keep your lives free from the, excuse me, the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So there's the plan. And it all means one thing. We either trust God or we don't when things are easy and when things are hard. Now here's the reality. You do not have to like what I've just said. You can just dismiss it away. And I can actually tell you I'm okay with that because that's not, this is not between me and you. This is between you and the God that I just finished quoting. If you don't believe these verses that are in the Bible, bless this pastor's heart and go and read them for yourself. So if you take all of that and kind of summarize it, God has a plan for handling our finances. It's different than the world's plan. In fact, let me just kind of show you what the world's plan is here. We kind of broke it down into this way. This is the world's way of handling finances. First of all, it says you need to make it. And you better climb up that corporate ladder really, really fast because that piece of the pie is getting shorter and smaller every single day. So make it. Secondly, it says then you need to own it because after all, it's yours. And if it's yours, everybody else better keep their hands off of it. Thirdly, then you need to hoard it, right? Keep as much of it for yourself because you never ever know when you're going to need it. Fourthly, then you're supposed to save it. But let's face it, most of us never get to number four. And number five, in the world's way, they'll actually say, give it. I noticed something the other day. I was looking at an article based on Fortune 500 companies. Top 50 companies in the country all have generosity as one of their values. They've learned to give back because they've realized something. Generosity is actually a beautiful thing when it's shared. But that's the way the world just says, you know, you make it, you own it, you hold on to it with everything you've got because after all, that's where all your security comes from. God's got a different way. I would use these words. This is what God said. God says you need to earn it. You're actually supposed to work. A good day's wage for a good day's work, that's supposed to be a part of it. We're supposed to work harder than anybody else because we don't even work for human bosses as followers of Jesus. The Bible says we work as unto the Lord. So God's our boss. Don't rip him off by taking extra long lunch breaks. Okay, so number two, then God says tithe. Give a chunk of it back to me and prove that you actually trust me. Test me. Give it your best shot. Thirdly, God says then you're supposed to save it. It's biblical. There is something about having put aside. It's the principle of Joseph, and we're going to be talking about that in the month of January. Number four, then you're supposed to repay it. Those of us that actually have debt, a part of our responsibility and our representation of Jesus is to pay back what we owe, not be carrying stuff. I mean, 18, 19% credit card debt, you're never going to get ahead that way. And finally, in God's way, he actually says, I want you to enjoy it. Enjoy it. I gave it to you. Enjoy it. That's the plan in God's words. Here comes my argument, okay? Like I said before, I spent the first nine years of being a pastor, living in complete disobedience with God's words. I could never figure out why we were always short and why I always felt so guilty. I remember Pastor Jim at Emmanuel Evangelical Free Church coming and saying, Grant, I need you to do a stewardship message. I've never felt like a bigger hypocrite and wrapped in shame in my life than when I was asking somebody to do something that I was not doing myself. 
I had lots of excuses and three main arguments. And maybe you've said some of the same things when you've been arguing with God about his money. Here was my first argument. But it's mine. It's mine. It's mine. I worked for it. I earned it. It's mine. It's mine. It's got my name on it. My names are on the bank accounts. It's mine. My name's on the credit card, even though I do have a credit card that says Christ the King Church on it, you know. That's not mine either. I hate to break it to you, but the reality is none of it's yours. And the sooner we learn that, the more we're able to kind of unwrap our fingers from around it. The Bible says this in Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. It's not yours and you're not yours. Everything that you have belongs to God and you're simply a steward. And it's amazing to me. I mean, do you have any idea why God cares so much about this? I mean, God talked more about this than he talked about heaven or hell in Scripture. I mean, the reason that he cares so much about this is because God says where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And God doesn't want your heart worshiping the idol of cash because that idol will come down. If you don't believe me, has anyone forgotten what happened in 2008? The idol of money got knocked on its backside. And everybody freaked out. And here was another interesting thing. People freaked out and they flocked back to church in record numbers. And yet we just drift right back. Thinking that we can actually find security in a system that's not God's. It's not yours. It's not mine. My beat up old trailblazer that's missing on one of the cylinders right now and going, okay, it's not the Holy Spirit, it's my car kind of going crazy. That old beater, that's not mine. And today I'm kind of thankful it's not, you know? It's like, (laughs) you can have it back, right? (laughs) This music stand's not mine. The chairs that you're sitting in, they're not mine. Food you're going to eat later on today, that's not yours. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Here was my second argument, but I work really hard. I'm one of those good guys, right? It's my blood, my sweat, my tears. And the Bible says this in Deuteronomy 8. I love these verses. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms His covenant, which He swore to your forefathers as it is today. Your brain, your lungs, your heart, your body, your corner office, your Rolodex, your big fancy truck with the big fancy chrome tires, all of that stuff, all of it, comes from God. And He gives you the strength and the power and the brains to make what it is that you make. The reality is you should work really, really hard, but you need to remember, just like I do, who makes that work possible. Apart from God, we can do nothing. Here was my last argument. But I can't afford to follow your instruction. Because at the time, I'm broke, right? And I know some people are going to say, You know, Grant, I tried it and it didn't work. You know, three days in a row, I tried it and it didn't work. 
God says, test me in this. Over a long period of time, you test me. And you see whether or not I will not find a way to look after you. See, I understand there's people in this room that are in all different kinds of, of, of uh, life situations. There are single moms here who are literally choosing sometimes between Jesus and groceries. I hope you will never ever forget the beautiful story in Scripture when this little widow comes and drops a couple of copper pennies and Jesus puts the brakes on everything and says, Do you see that? Everybody else, you're giving out of your wealth. She gave out of her poverty and God literally shined a spotlight on top of her because of her generosity. There are people here, honestly, you're not worried about your next meal. You have never had to. In all of those things, the Bible says this, and I use the acrostic trust for a reason, because Scripture says when we say, I can't afford to do this, the Lord says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him. And He will make your path straight. I don't know about you, but I don't like it when God hasn't answered every one of my arguments. I mean, he actually has a specific verse for everything that I used to argue with him about. And slowly over time, he would just lay out this truth in front of me and then go, you trust me or not? I remember the day when I ran into Matthew chapter 7. Because Matthew 7, Jesus says this, No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. For a long time, I chose money. It scared me because I didn't know whether or not God would actually keep his promise or not. So for nine years, with the title reverend in front of my name, this was my dark, dirty little secret. I could pray my brains out, study God's word, love high school and middle school kids because I was a youth pastor. Man, I was just cranking out all this really good godly stuff. But I had this one little corner of my soul that had a no entrance for Jesus sign on the front of it. And I remember the day he confronted me and asked me a question. It's a piece of leather filled with paper and plastic. If you allow it to, it will shred your family, steal your joy, and cause you to live in fear for the rest of your life. Is that what you want to worship? That's what God asked me. Is that what you want to worship, Grant? A piece of leather filled with paper and plastic? Or do you want to worship me? In spirit and in truth, and the one God who said, I will always look after you. So, as a church, here's what I know for sure. We have been blessed. Have we not? I mean, we have been blessed. I believe we've been blessed to be a blessing. 
In fact, some of you are here and you're just like, I don't think I'm that blessed. Really? Did you know that if you've had one meal in the last 24 hours and slept with a roof over top of your head, that you are among the top 10% of the wealthiest people on the face of the earth? If you have a vehicle, whether or not you share it with a bank or not, you're in the top 4% of the richest people on the earth. I won't even tell you what percentage you're in if you drank a mocha last week. Let's just say this. That puts you in the top 1.3% of the richest people on the face of the planet. So we have all been blessed. We have all been blessed. The question is, will we be blessed for us? Or will we be blessed to be a blessing somebody else's life? God has called us to be generous. In fact, if you read your Bible, God's called us to be stupid generous. And he invites us to walk with him, knowing that his giving style was one of extravagant generosity. After all, when it came down to purchasing our salvation, he gave everything he had to save our souls. How can we do anything less than that? So husbands and wives, I hope you have a really awkward conversation on your way home tonight. Are we going to be obedient or not? If you're a single person, here's the cool thing. You just get to have that conversation direct to Jesus. He's a brilliant conversationalist. But for each one of us, we've got to figure out whether or not we're going to be obedient or not. The cool thing for me as a pastor is that this argument is not between me and you. It's between you and the God who says, worship me. Not that piece of leather in your back pocket because you can't trust it anyway. Would you pray with me as we close? Father God, we love you. We trust you. Father, I pray for those who may be here who are desperately in need. And I pray that they would trust you today. Lord, I pray for those who are here who may be simply, honestly, very bluntly disobedient. Lord, I pray that they would become obedient because, Lord, your Bible actually says if we love you, we will keep your commandments. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for allowing us to have the hard conversations. I pray that we would stop arguing and begin to obey. We pray these things in Jesus' precious and holy name and all God's people said, Amen.